Cocktail College is brought to you by Zacapa Number no. Twenty Three Rum. Listener, I want to talk to you about aging today, and specifically about Solera aging. You probably know it from the fine wines of Jerez in Spain, and you've probably noticed that it's become something of a trend these days in distilled spirits. Well, for Zacapa Number no. Twenty Three Rum, that's always been the process, a blend of 6 to 23-year-old rums using the Solera method, but not only that. Here's what's super interesting. That aging takes place at some of the highest altitude facilities in the world. They call it the house above the clouds. And when you start to get that combination, that unique combination of Solera and altitude, what you end up with is an aged rum that is truly unique. Here's what else is unique. The patate weaving on every single bottle because they're hand-woven and I'm a sucker for bottle design so I wanted to point that out. But folks, that is Zacapa Rum number 23. The bottle looks great. The liquid tastes great and it's got a really unique story you can share with friends. Head to zacaparum.com right now to learn more. Hey, this is Tim McCurdy and welcome to Vinepair's Cocktail College a weekly deep dive into classic cocktails that goes beyond the recipe with America's best bartenders. There's a popular phrase in tiki and tropical drinks circles that states, what one rum can't do, three rums can. We typically attribute that little aphorism to Ernest Raymond Gant, better known to many as Don Beach, or the founding father of tiki culture. Now, Don wasn't the only one in his realm to take this approach, nor indeed has it been limited to cane and molasses-based distillates. In fact, some of the more curious drinks in the genre also employ the services of things like gin and brandy. And in the case of today's cocktail, we see that duo join rum, among other things, and then receive a final float of sherry for good measure. That's pretty much all I'm going to say about the fog cutter for now, Because this week's episode is by no means a run-of-the-mill edition of Cocktail College. That's right. On a recent Sunday afternoon, we broke exciting new ground, taking the show on the road for the very first time to record in front of a live audience in the private dining space of Gage & Toner and Sunken Harbour Club. As those in attendance sipped a trio of tropical concoctions, we were joined by Chief Cocktail Officer Garrett Richard to cut the fog on that aforementioned cocktail and its numerous variants. And there was more. Bartender Carlos Perez took the stage to talk us through his newly debuted evolution of the drink, the brain fog. And finally, co-founder and partner Sinjin Frizzle joined us to launch the eponymous handmade mug in which the brain fog's being served, and which now, while stocks last at least, is on sale to the public. Listener, it's Cocktail College meets Sunken Sundays, and it's brought to you today by the Vinepair Podcast Network. Ladies and gentlemen, Tim McCurdy. I'll leave it to you, Tim. Fantastic. Thank you, Sinjin. You know, first live Cocktail College recording today. I'm going to say, I'm sure there's a few folks in the crowd with us thinking that last Sunday was the big event. But it turns out that no. Super Bowl was just the warm-up for the first ever Sunken Sundays Cocktail College collaboration. And who could be better to join myself or actually host us? Usually we're hosting guests than Garrett Richard, returning guest of the show. Garrett. You know, Garrett, do I say welcome to you or do you say welcome to me? I think we say welcome to each welcome other. Welcome to each yeah. other. Okay, welcome. <laughs> welcome, um, yeah. So, uh, I mean, we put cocktails in bowls, so there is sort of a Super Bowl. Yes. It's, called the sh- it's called the Shattered Skull. It's next door. It's on fire and people yell at you. Yeah. Like many drinks that we serve. <laughs> and, you know, another thing that I was thinking about that's funny for today specifically is that, you know, this is a Sunday uh, in the middle of a three-day weekend for many of us. And the drink we're covering, the Fog Cutter, Fog Cutter itself is an original or an old American term, sorry, for kind of a pick-me-up, even like the word cocktail itself. So I think that's 
phenomenal because some folks here on the Sunday may have had a couple of drinks last night. We've had a welcome drink here today. So yeah, it's, it's very apt. But Garrett, for those listening or for those in the audience today who might not be familiar with it, we've just tried your own iterations, yes. but uh, give us the rundown on the, the, the Fog Cutter. Yeah, so the Fog Cutter is a Trader Vic's cocktail, um, primarily, and the way I like to think about it, I think it's an evolution of the Scorpion. The Scorpion and several other drinks in the Trader Vic's lexicon, like the Eastern Sour, the London Sour, are sort of like his sour format, which is usually lemon, orange, orgeat, and some type of spirit. With the Scorpion, that's cognac and white rum. And then the Fog Cutter sort of is like a maximalist Scorpion where it has white rum or some type of rum. We'll get into that later. Gin, cognac, and then a float of sherry. So they're adding two extra ingredients to the Scorpion you know, style that he came up with. But he, he ran with this style for years. When he opened the Trader Vicks in Munich, he had the Munich Sour, which used Osbach brandy from Germany. Um, even after his death, they opened the Tokyo Trader Vicks and did the Tokyo Sour years later um, with Japanese whiskey and a float of Galliano. So this idea of like doing lemon, orange, almond, and then kind of messing around from there... Um, is central to the mixing style of Trader Vic. And, you know, we were talking about this earlier, is like, I think Trader Vic really is the the king of lemon tropical drinks. Right, yeah. Dawn is sort of more lime-based. And it's, it's interesting in that, you know, if you break lemon down and lime down, this is in my book, Tropical Standard, very subtle plug, um, is uh, lemon juice is it's very clean on your palate. It's only citric acid. It leaves your palate very quickly. Lime juice sort of tends to linger. It has that malic acid, which we associate with Granny Smith apple. Um, and because of that lingering acidity, you know, aged spirits like whiskey, cognac, you don't typically see with lime that often. It does work sometimes. But um, because Vic leaned on the lemon side, you start to see things like cognac and he used bourbon. He used, uh, you know, uh, scotch in a lot of his cocktails. And mm. I think it's because of that structural difference between those two juices. Yeah. And, you know, something I find very interesting about the fog cutter as well as a cocktail, the Garen and I were kind of discussing uh, as we were planning out our discussion today is that like many drinks, and, and especially those in the kind of tropical and tiki sphere, there's uh, a lot of different variations and, and, you know, different interpretations of it. But one thing that does kind of remain consistent when you're talking about the fog cutter is that it's a very hard drink to balance. And a lot of people feel like the recipe, the classic spec of it, um, maybe doesn't achieve that. And I know that's something you guys were thinking about for today when we're talking about the opening drink, should we go with the classic original version? Um, we did not. We did not. <laughs> <laughs> That's the short answer. And uh, what's exciting yeah. about that for us too here on you know, Cocktail College is this is the first episode we've ever done where we've had our guest come up with an original spec of a cocktail for the episode. So we're going to get into that, Garrett. Yeah. Uh, so historically, this drink had a lot of acidity to it. It was also a very big cocktail, and it was a very strong cocktail starting out. I feel like Vic had answers to the zombie on paper. He had his own zombie. He had something called the Tortuga, which is a very strong drink. But really, I think the Fog Cutter was his response to the zombie in, because it was his style, but it was still a very strong drink. Um, the original had around three ounces, three-ish ounces of alcohol. But the thing with the original spec and... With my co-author Ben Schaefer on Tropical Standard, we tried to go into like what the thinking was with some of these vintage cocktails, but it's tough for me to imagine. The original spec had two ounces of lemon juice in it for, and even for a large drink, that's a lot. That's a lot of acid, and then it had fresh orange on top of it, which back then the orange juice was probably much tarter. Mm -hmm. And I'm just like, okay, this is a hangover cure, quote unquote, or you know. It's getting you through the night, and you're just, like, bombing people with acidity. That just sounds like a recipe for disaster. Um, but here's the thing is, you know, the, the only thing I think that maybe, maybe would balance it out is, is there was a Gourmet Magazine article in which Trader Vic tried to outline what his syrups were for general 
consumption. And he had a daiquiri in there, which was basically a ripped off Florida daiquiri. He, he did that all the time. Uh, his simple syrup was three parts sugar to one part water, which is very, very concentrated. So it is possible that at a certain point in time, mm-hmm. his orgeat was so sweet that maybe that two ounces of, uh, of lemon balanced yeah. out correctly. It still probably was a tart drink. Mm-hmm. It probably was still an acid bomb, but maybe, maybe that's maybe that's the thing. <laughs> but the thing is, the the syrups that strong are very difficult to store. Like generally, if you're buying a syrup um, commercially, it's going to be around like a two to one demerara syrup if you make it. Those those tend to store better. Sometimes you get things that are simple syrup strength, but generally they're in the sixty bricks range, which is like you know, 60% sugar, um, 75, you start, it starts becoming crystallized. But then again, he does refer to his, his simple syrup as rock candy syrup. Maybe it's because <laughs> there's rock candy being, uh, you know, on the bottom of the cord of it yeah. or in the bottle. Um, is there also, so, you know, doing a bit of research on this cocktail online as well, is there also a possibility that maybe even the recipe that he published, he wasn't being fully oh, it's transparent. Oh, that's 100% possible. Just to make sure that people could not <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. replicate yeah. his uh, drink. Yeah, he, he did that with some of his signatures. His own, uh, his own Navy Grog is very vague in his books. You know, one of them just says, buy two and a half ounces or something like that of my, of my Navy Grog rum and use my Navy Grog mix. And it's like, thanks. Thanks for the, thanks for the salesman. And then it's like, if you can't get the rum, here's the three rums. We actually use that guidance to spec our Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner and, and uh, Sunken Harbor. But yeah, he was he was secretive. And I think some of the, uh, some of the you know, public uh, knowledge of his cocktails came from litigation. Some of it came from just him wanting to write cookbooks at a certain point. So you're right. It's totally possible. And we're going to get into some sort of interesting variations of the classic fog cutter. So at Sunken Harbor, our Navy Grog, everyone knows Don the Beach cover for the Navy Grog. We actually do the Trader Vic version in in spirit because we like the Trader Vic version. It has more spice. It's lesser known. We like that. Weirdly enough, to get to a good Trader Vic fog cutter, we're using the spirit blend from Don the Beachcomber. So what does that mean? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so we're going with his... Lemon. Yeah, yeah. Well, his his spirit. Uh, tri- Vicks, yeah, Vic's lemon. Sorry, yeah. but uh, Don's Don's Don spirits. spirits. Yeah. Um, interestingly, in that original recipe, too, um, I don't know whether anyone here or any of our listeners has an answer to this, but the 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 rum called out is a light Puerto Rican rum. Uh, he gives three examples, two of which I can't remember and have never heard of. The third of oh, which like is Ron Rico. Yeah. Yeah. Is, yeah. But the third of which is Brugal, which I do not believe to be a Puerto Rican rum either. So I don't know whether that is um, right. No, no. But I think probably for, I mean, I dealt with this with my own book. It's like you kind of have to just be like whatever you can get in your local market. (laughs) You know, Maybe back then Brugal had a good distribution when he Mm -hmm. wrote the book in 47. But um, Don the Beachcomber Spirit Blend for the Fog Cutter. Mm -hmm. What's interesting about it, all white spirits, white rum, Pisco, and gin. For us doing this sort of old school lemon orange orgeat mix, it made sense more than doing cognac. Um, and this was disclosed by um, Ted Hay in his book, Vintage Spirits and Forgotten Cocktails. Um, yeah, I think, I think doing like this all white spirit blend for those lighter flavors, it made, it made sense. Cognac is very heavy. Yeah. And I think that's Another thing that's interesting when, again, I don't mean to keep banging on about this original recipe, but like the original recipe calls out brandy, but it doesn't say cognac and it doesn't specify aged brandy. Pisco is a brandy and therefore makes a lot more sense, right, for us it's to be like- looking at that. Again, I, maybe the original wasn't using that, but we're definitely not straying too far from the original there by employing that approach. I think back then there was, you know, it's not... Like I think New York, especially you know post cocktail Renaissance, has had this benefit of sort of ten years of of people saying this is the version of the Manhattan. Like you know most Manhattans, you get in a cocktail bar two one you know two, uh, good vermouth, all that. Um, during this sort of golden age of these these cocktails, I think it was more like jazz where you interpreted the idea, and there were different versions in different spots. 
a good example is like the Dr. Funk cocktail, which, you know, Vicks had lemon and lime, Don's didn't. Uh, there was versions that had passion fruit, which was in the Steve Crane, uh, you know, bars that he owned. And uh, I think with I think with the fog cutter, it's like, okay, I understand there's this this kind of grapey note to it. How can I pull that out? You know, because the sherry's in there. How can I pull it out in a different way? And mm-hmm. I think Pisco does do that. Yeah. Um, should we go over the spec? Uh, before we go uh, yeah. over the spec, there's a few other kind of interesting or unique aspects of this cocktail that don't often crop up for us on the show that I wanted to call out. The first of which is very apt for today. It's served in an eponymous fog cutter mug, which may or may oh, not be the first kind of tiki mug ceramic in existence. So I think that's really interesting. But, you know, we're talking about a cocktail here served over crushed ice with a sherry float, uh, probably often consumed with a straw, almost always. So why are we floating sherry on top of a drink? Because floats often come in right for the aromatics, or but also the visuals there. But you can't see that if you're drinking that out of a ceramic mug. <laughs> no, in mug. a mug you can't. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, I will say with all the white spirits, the float does make a little bit more sense in a glass because uh, the so the sherry that was used historically was Harvey's Bristol Cream. Just funny that uh, people think br- uh, cream sherry is a category. It was actually named after the brand. The brand mm-hmm. created the category. It's basically sweet cherry. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you float it on an all kind of white spirit, very light looking fog cutter, it does look like fog because it's basically dark brown, kind of almost black. Um, so to me, that makes sense. If the drink is more kind of golden, it, it, it's a little less, you know, mm-hmm. uh, obvious. Um, the drinks that you all had, the sherry was integrated just because we didn't want to have variation between. When you scale <laughs> up these things, you tend to have to make some decisions. But um, Question for you when it comes to your own approach to creating cocktails uh, for floats. Yeah. is that Are you thinking of that kind of like the same way as a garnish where it's also to help the aromatics pop? And to get that, you know, as you're sipping it, like, or when would you employ a float? And what situation are you like, I'm coming up with this new original drink. Uh, what does it need something to finish it? Ah, maybe we'll go with a float. It's few and far between for us. I think next door at Sunken, I think the only drink we make a float with is the Demerara dry float. And that's, I think, to give you sort of uh, like lingering kind of uh, alcohol experience where you get that surprise at the end of extra uh extra alcohol but for me in general i I don't think about floats too Mm -hmm. much because i think they can be unwieldy if you have somebody that's drinks fast you have someone that drinks you know slow good point uh, yeah what's their experience like because there are some people that drink crushed ice drinks very quickly Mm -hmm. and then there are others that, that sit on it quite a while and you know how do you how do you you know bridge the gap between those two things. It's difficult. Also, you know, service and preparation time, I imagine that's adding an extra step. And it's a skill. You know, we kind of talked about this in a previous episode. We did the New York Sour. And I think oftentimes one of the things, if you have a bad version of that cocktail or poorly made, it's because maybe there's too much red wine on there yeah. on the float. Yeah, um, or too tannic, the red yeah, wine. Exactly, yeah. not choosing the right one. So I thought that was something interesting to call out. Uh, and then also... You know, breaking down ingredients, the fact that we've mentioned brandy, we mentioned rum, we'll go into rum a little bit more when we break down your spec, but also gin just not really being too much. You find it in a couple of other cocktail or tiki, tiki drinks, sorry, but it's not too common, is it? No, and I think in this it's interesting because I think the gin is more like bitters. Um, you're in adding spice, you're adding botanicals and you're using a very small amount of it it's almost like a a, you know juniper bitters and especially if you're using something like a london dry that where the juniper is up you know up front um it's it just gives that extra spice Mm -hmm. the 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 trap i think with this cocktail is using too much of it is is gin you know gin is it's it's not a bully, but it's very, <laughs> you know, it wants to be on its own sometimes. Yeah. Um, I think gin and cognac is a little bit easier to marry. Uh, the Suffering Bastard is is a, a great example of that. Yeah. Uh, there's a few scorpion recipes that are very gin and brandy focused. Uh, but, you know, for, for the fog cutter, a little bit goes a long way. And, you know, you were mentioning Harvey's Bristol Cream earlier. 
as being like, you know, like a, a brand that owns a category. Uh, I actually don't know the answer to this, even though we've been speaking about it. But when it comes to gin, thinking of something of, along a similar lines, might a Plymouth be a good option for this? Because again, it's not quite as assertive as a, as a kind of classic London style. Yeah, I think gin. if you want to bump the citrus up. Yeah. yeah. We kind of went right in the middle and used Fords because there's some beautiful, fantastic gin, beautiful aromatics from it. Yeah. You get some florality too. Yeah, I think I think that's a really interesting choice that you can make. Is what are your gin bitters? When I worked with Dave Arnold, he actually used uh, he referred to Tanqueray as gin bitters, and he would sometimes add dashes of Tanqueray to, to yeah. cocktails. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, um, that's a very assertive gin right yeah, there. Yeah, forty-seven point three percent of it, and I love the point three because I don't know why we need to know that, but you know, it's very exact. Um, well, that's the problem. We don't carry it once they drop the point three. I'm I'm done. <laughs> yeah. There's too many gins losing their ABV losing their right ABV, now. Yeah, you know that's uh, that's happening. Uh, another thing that I wanted to call out too, again before we get into your spec, is is the orange because I think that is a point of contention. It's also a, a cocktail ingredient where I think a lot of people sour, no pun intended there, you know, but like from cocktails that include orange, I think. Uh, oh, it's a bartender nightmare ingredient yeah. is orange juice. Yeah. Um, but famously, Paul McGee uh, opts to go for Curacao instead of orange in his version. Of yeah. The at Lost Lake, he used and he and his crew used a lot of orange peel. And I was told they just donated the oranges to local food kitchens after they peeled them. Fair uh, yeah, he would he would use uh, orange liqueur in place of orange juice. Uh, I think it works really well in the three dots and a dash. I think it's still probably one of the best specs for that that drink out there. Uh, for us, you know, I have a lot of ways to get around orange juice. You know, you can use, we use acid adjusting. We've made cordials out of orange. We've done every single thing. The technique for the drink that y'all tasted earlier, super old school. Um, so I had a strange fellow come upstairs, probably waiting to go downstairs, who ordered a Bronx for me. And I'm pretty sure this was the first and only time I've made a Bronx <laughs> in my entire life. One of those aforementioned yeah. orange cocktails. Yeah, <laughs> orange cocktail. And I pulled up uh, Martin Duderoff's app, his personal app, the Duderoff's Index. And uh, what's really nice about Martin's uh, applications, he did the Total Tiki app, he's done a bunch of others, is he has... Uh, you pull up a recipe, he has chronology where you can go, okay, this is the Bronx from 1922, 23, you know, various versions from different books. I was flipping through, you know, four or five of them, all seemed the same. There was one that said, you know, do the sweet vermouth, the dry vermouth, the gin, and just muddle orange wedges into it. And I was like, that sounds much better than just putting a bunch of orange juice on top of a perfect martini. And, uh, <laughs> you know... Uh, Made it, and uh, the guy liked it. And I tasted it in the tin. I was like, you know, this isn't bad. Um, so when somebody ordered a fog cutter here the first time, uh, it was a bartender who used to work at Grand Army. Um, he really liked the drink, and I was like, you know what? I'm going to try that for this and see if that works. And I really liked that element. I think Vicks cocktails in general really depends on citrus oils. You know, when he wanted to learn more about cocktails, he went to Cuba. He watched Constantino Ribalagua and he watched the Contaneros down in Cuba. And a big part of the Cuban style is using all parts of the lime, using the lime oil, squeezing the lime by hand in some situations, and really just maximizing that oil flavor. And in things like the Scorpion and the Eastern Sour, he would often, he would have chunks of like lemon and orange that would sit at the bottom of the glass and evolve. That's a huge part of the Mai Tai. We do our own version of that at Sunken Harbor. And f with the fog cutter, I was like, just having that sort of like matterized orange at the bottom, I think was enough. You mm -hmm. know? Um, I'm going to ask a very nerdy question here that you may or may not have the answer to, but hearing you describe that, you know, obviously, like you said, citrus oil being something that really adds complexity to citrus. It's why, you know, if you use just citric acid on, on its own, and it doesn't taste yeah. like lemon, right? Yeah. Um, do you think there's maybe a much lower proportion, given the size of, and, and volume of an orange and the volume of orange juice you get compared to the amount of peel when you're pressing it, do you think the proportion of citrus oil might therefore be lower and that's why it's not as complex of a juice. 
In sorry, can you repeat that question? Yeah. So, because, <laughs> yeah, yeah, so imagine yeah. right the 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 amount of fresh lime juice you'll get from squeezing one lime. Sure. Yeah. The proportion of citrus oil might be higher than the proportion of citrus oil from the peel that you'll get when you're squeezing an orange because you get oh, more sure. juice. From yeah. It. Sure. Absolutely. Um, yeah. No, they're definitely different animals, and I think you know varieties too. Uh, the the thing we've been playing around recently is even going as far as using essential oils and then uh, making something called an essence. But And that you can really dial in mm-hmm. because then it's not even a matter of, of uh, where, you know, where you're getting the oranges from or what have you. But yeah, no, I think it depends on variety. You know, we're lucky right now we're in citrus season. Uh, Caracaras are, have beautiful skin Phenomenal. and beautiful juice. Um, Blood orange would do something very different to that drink, but it'd be probably really cool to see. Mm-hmm. Um, this reminds me of something, and, and unfortunately, I'm forgetting the name here. But recently, at the uh, Vine Pair office, we hosted a happy hour with uh, with Dale DeGroff. Oh yeah, and yeah. he was um, he actually insisted on caracara oranges, but he was telling me about someone's come up with a new super variety of orange over there in the West Coast. It's killing me that I can't remember the, the name of it now. Uh, but but keep your eyes peeled, again, no pun intended there, for a new orange uh, that's going to be trending. So I'll, I'll have to it, ask Dale on that. It better not maybe. be the pink pineapple of oranges, because that was, like, super disappointing. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I understand this is for TikTok, but the, the flavor is not great. Um, but yeah, let's get back to the drink and the preparation there. So you, you, yeah. you took a, a, an approach where it's muddling the orange. Muddling the orange. Yeah, so the way, the way this starts, um, muddle the orange in the Collins glass, leave, leave that a, aside, make the drink. We start the drink with salt. We do that in most of our cocktails. Um, a couple years ago, and uh, I said, I was like, I think salt is going to be more, you know, part of cocktails going forward. And I feel like that trend is happening. So mm-hmm. uh there's, you know, influencers like Thirsty Whale that now do it, like, on every single drink. So next generation is going to salt every drink. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, uh, yeah, so we start with a little bit of salt drops. Um, we do a little bit of almond extract. Uh, the reason we do almond extract is we have a little bit of orgeat in the drink, but I didn't want to do a ton of sweetness. And recently at Sunken, we've been doing this thing where we've been using, like, a syrup, like a cinnamon syrup, but also using a cinnamon essence or extract because you're not tied to sweetness for that flavor. You know, you can use a little bit of it, but this should be a dry drink. So a little bit of almond extract, a teaspoon of Orgeat. We're using uh, Adam Colasar's Orgeat that he designed for Latitude 29. It's floral. It's great. Um, Then fresh lemon, only a half ounce. And then the other sweetener in the drink is lemon punch syrup. So we create this syrup was created for Happiest Hour by Jim Kearns originally. Um, he just called it a lemon syrup. And then over the years, I've added some extra steps to it. But basically, it's a combination of oleosaccharum, fresh lemon juice, sugar, and citric acid. And it's basically like a bottled version of like what you would make in a bowl of like David Wondrich punch. And what's cool about it is it's pourable and measurable. So you can add it to different drinks. We've done it in a bunch of drinks at Sunken Harbor, like the Bridge of Size. And um, so that's the sweetener is the lemon punch. And that's where you can get this complex lemon flavor, basically like a two ounces of lemon, but without, you know, your throat being on fire. (laughs) Um, And then, yeah, getting into the spirit blend, it's a quarter ounce of gin three quarter ounces of brandy, um, and then one ounce of uh, Denison White. As, uh, and sorry, yeah, the three quarter ounces is Caporo Pisco, mm-hmm. which uh, I really like Caporo um, because I think it has a really delicate floralness to it. They distill to proof. It's just, it, it, it's our house Pisco. It's sunken. It's and really lovely. Mm-hmm. Um, and then for your float? Yeah, half an ounce of Harvey's Bristol. I think at some point, if we wanted to play with the Sherry's, we could. We had it in-house because I, this is something we talked about before we started recording, is like I've had some fog cutters on the road, some not so good, some good, and I had one that was great that had Harvey's in it. Mm-hmm. So um, another one that really was a standout, uh, I recently tr- traveled with my book. I did a little tour of the United States, and I went to Comstock Saloon. 
the owner free poured a fog cutter and nailed it. <laughs> yeah, it was awesome, including the syrup with no speed pourer on it. And I was like, oh, this is what 30 years in the biz gets you. And I was like, damn. <laughs> um, one final question on that, because I think it was something I was asking you before, but you're opting to go with the float. Is there anything, would you lose anything by including the sherry in the build? Just a visual, I think a visual, visual element. And then the, the one thing is with the float, like you had the full size version of it. There is sort of, there is some evolution where it starts tart and then it gets slightly sweeter, like, which is a fun, it's fun. Mm. I think, I think that's. There's a more there's, more complex drinking there's, experience. There's something there's something to be said about that. I think we, you know we all think about the like the classic example is the old fashioned where it evolves and and you know like the sugar cube can melt and and become more uh, part of the drink. So mm -hmm. I think it's a similar effect. And then when it comes to preparation, are we shaking this or how are we approaching that? Yeah, so we're flash blending this one. Um, I think you could also do uh, something that we talk about in the book is a lot of Trader Vic's drinks do something called uh, it, where they shake with crushed ice, but they shake very slowly. And we had sort of a more nuanced approach to that in Tropical Standard called the hybrid shake. I won't get into it here, but it's in the book uh, just because we have a lot to cover. Yes. <laughs> yeah. It's definitely worth um, reading. I was covering yeah. them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. Fantastic. And so that's our classic or our, our, yeah. our sort of slightly reimagined uh, classic fog cutter there. Talk to us about the second drink folks are enjoying today and maybe some kind of riffs or evolutions yeah. that exist so in the fog cutter. The first time I fell in love with a fog cutter was actually at Tiki Tea. And Tiki Tea does not make the classic Vic style. Um, you know, Ray Buen worked for, uh, you know, he worked for Don the Beachcomber. He worked at a lot of spots around the, you know, around the LA scene. And the drink I had at Tiki Tea was like cherry based. It was, it was, it had like this red float. It had the three spirits. It definitely had like cognac and gin and rum, but it had this like kind of cherry pop flavor to it. And it was really cool. And I loved it. Um, you know, I could tell very hard to make. Like sometimes it was the, my favorite drink there and sometimes it was just fine. But uh, when they nailed it, it was really good. Uh, so, when I was working on my pop-up Exotica, Rain's Law Room, I wanted to do something like that. Also, at the time, I was working at ZZ's Clam Bar with Brian Miller, and I came up with this spec that you just had. Uh, we called it the Sour Cherry at ZZ's because the practice there was to name it after the main ingredient. Basically, it's the same three, it's the same three spirits aged in this variety, so rum, cognac, and gin, and then instead of doing an almond sweetener, we're doing a cherry, like a red fashionola sweetener. And then our oils are coming from limoncello rather than, you know, like lemon juice. And then it's lime and orange. Mm -hmm. So this was my tribute to that. Tony Ramos also uh, was a huge proponent of this cherry version of the fog cutter. Sven Kirsten would always, you know, rhapsodize about his fog cutters that he made at uh, Madame Wu's, which was a Chinese restaurant in Los Angeles. And my theory is that that maybe this drink, the, the cherry version of it came from this uh, restaurant called Edna Earl's, which was called uh, Edna Earl's Fog Cutters. And it was a steakhouse on La Brea Avenue. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. An yeah. interesting final note on that one there to uh, the fact that sherry and cherry sound so similar. Like, yeah, could that no, have there's, been a. There's got to be yeah. something to yeah. that. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah, someone yeah. misheard the ingredients yeah. or yeah. miswrote it down. And <laughs> but it kind of makes sense. Yeah. Like, like, with Tony's, which Ted Hay wrote about, it's a float of cherry herring. Instead, mm -hmm. we're using a syrup that has cherry and then the, the limoncello is the, the sort of liqueur element. But uh, with, with Tony's, I think. You know, uh, cherry herring lasts a little bit longer. It's it's it, on the shelf than, mm -hmm. you know, cream sherry. So maybe it's just a practicality thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So half half of these choices sometimes are to make a bar function seven days a week. <laughs> and yeah, yeah. Um, great. Well, I don't think. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but neither of the cocktails that so far you can find them on the menu here at Sunken Harbor Club. But you will be able to find a third drink today. Yeah. And we're going to bring out Carlos Perez to talk about this. It is the brain fog. Yeah. So come on up, Carlos. Hello. Hello. 
Um, so yeah, tell us about um, the inception of the brain fog. You know, one thing I find very interesting about it as well, you know, I was perusing the menu and it has a wonderful description on there, but you don't learn too much about what's in this cocktail. Uh, first of all, is that intentional? Uh, yeah, it is kind of like an idea that we kind of floated across when we were like kind of drafting yeah. the cocktail. Uh, it's a little bit of a marriage between like a fog cutter and a hurricane buster. Mm -hmm. I floated the idea to Garrett when we were like flipping the menu of like doing like a hurricane buster rendition. And I think like subconsciously we just started turning it into a fog cutter. <laughs> and then we we're like, oh, we should just, you know, add three spirits in there. Yeah. Well, I happened. think when, when you were R and Ding, you had like you had two out of the three. You, yeah. had, you had a brandy element and a, a rum element. And I was like, you got you, you know, you're so close. <laughs> <laughs> Throw some gin bitters in there yeah. and you're you're good. Uh, so maybe we will keep some of the, the, the secrets proprietary today. Maybe we'll, we'll you know, keep some of those uh, behind lock and key. Uh, but tell us a little bit about the drink. Uh, it's got like a little bit of a herbaceousness. I don't know if we want to talk too much about like what the ingredients are in it. Uh, but there's some minty angles. There's some guava, some apple. Mm -hmm. uh, but it has a very similar composition to like a fog cutter. Very nice, very nice. I think I think when when you approached me with the drink, the you, I think I feel like you had two main angles. I think first you wanted a guava cocktail, and then the second angle was apple. And right. then I think in in Arndying it together, we sort of like pulled both of those flavors out because you mentioned Joe Shalom. Joe Shalom, you know, also another you know huge superstar bartender in the mid century created the Suffering Bastard and. Uh, a lot of his drinks had multiple base spirits in them. Um, and I think you, you know, because the, the hurricane buster they created had guava, that was sort of your initial template, but then you started playing around with the fog cutter. What was for you? I'm sorry. I'm just taking hosting duties. No, right? no, no, no. <laughs> uh, uh, you're yeah. captivated but, uh, watching myself. No, but, but what was it like to R and D here versus like previous jobs you've done? I'm just kind of curious. I, you, you know, don't hold back. <laughs> no, 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 totally. Uh, but make sure you're being positive. You're not, no, no. Uh, I, I feel like there's definitely more of a communal angle to building a drink here. Uh, I feel like sometimes when you work at a cocktail bar, it's a little more competitive, and it's not like really like assisting each other to kind of make the best drink you can. You know, so, so it's I like, like uh, it's, it's like the bad years of Saturday Night Live versus the good years of Saturday Night Live. Yeah, yeah, yeah um, no, I got, I got it. <laughs> so I want to hear from both of you on this, but start with yourself, Carlos. Um, what are the difficulties of balancing multiple base spirits in a cocktail and, and coming up with original cocktails that do have? You know, like we've seen today, I, I'm not sure whether it's the case for the brain fog, but, you know, you're going from gin to brandy and rum. You know, like, where do you start? Do you pick one hero spirit and build upon that? Or what does that approach look like? Well, that could all change uh, from day to day, you know. Uh, but you kind of have, like, an idea of how, like, certain spirits behave in a cocktail. You know, like, some spirits, you know, bring a lot of botanicals like gin, but then they also, like, thin the drink. You know, a rum could add a little body, a little more richness. You know, so that's kind of how we were playing with it. Yeah, it was... Um, the other thing was when he... I'm not going to give away this ingredient, but there's basically instead of the sherry, there's another ingredient in there that, like, when he was like, I'm thinking about using this, I was like, yeah, good luck. <laughs> like, <you know? laughs> and he nailed it, you know, which is even crazier. You know, it's like, it, like... Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, my lord. <laughs> yeah. It's, we're not in Chicago. If we were in Chicago, that would be the answer, yeah. But. <laughs> what about for yourself, though, Garrett? What, yeah, balancing multiple base yeah, spirits? Yeah, yeah. Um, it's it's a matter of just like everybody getting along with each other, and also I think knowing there there is like a dom. I think there is a dominant spirit within sort of the hierarchy, like the way we balance sort of multiple base spirits is very. I think it's very rare for us to do a spec where it's like one part of this, one part of that, one part of that. It's like usually like three, two, one, or you know what have you. Um, but what what was it about the guava that was it was it what what made you want to go to that flavor well i feel like guava is like a big staple in like latin food you know like in desserts uh it was like either going to be guava or blackberry because those are two like very nostalgic flavors for me 
And then I was just, you know, combing through, uh, you know, some oh, old... Potions of the yeah. Caribbean. <laughs> yeah. Potions of the Caribbean, some old tiki books, looking for something that would, you know, work with guava. Mm-hmm. And that's where I started with that template for the Hurricane Buster. So we're also, you know, those of us in attendance today, we're also very lucky that we're launching a new mo- menu today at Sunken Harbor Club. Um, this being a drink that you've developed for it, what does a kind of time process look like for something like that? And also, Garrett, after that, for like a new menu in general, like what does that process look like? So, yeah, how long how long was the R&D on this drink? Uh, I want to say it was like couple months i have a really bad concept of time <laughs> working a full-time you take, you take really good notes though you have a lot you like you had a log of like basically every version we did yeah yeah totally what worked what didn't you know which is good because after you do a couple versions it's just there's no memory of what you do right? <laughs> especially if it's called a brain fog you know? yeah <laughs> we're also like not too like married to anything you know we we're like oh we should switch this up entirely you know something that was like maybe like leading the flavor profile, you know, and then just like taking that spirit out altogether and being like, oh, this works better, actually. Yeah, which I, I commend you for because I think a, a tough part of the R&D process is that you can get married to one idea where you're like, this drink has to have this. And there's a great quote. Uh, I know uh, Jeff Berry has quoted this as well, but it's from a Japanese bartender Um he has a, a book called, oh, Jesus, uh, uh, Bar Technique. Um, he, but the, the idea behind the quote is that the cocktail tells you what it wants when you're working on it. And you don't necessarily, like, don't, you know, you want to drive the boat a little bit, but, you know, you don't necessarily want to go up against the, the current with, and I think you did that really well with this drink. Um, final, final question here on kind of drink creation You hear a lot when it comes to like musicians. I think there's that, you know, very famous story of it was it Keith Richards who, you know, woke up in the middle of the night, wrote Satisfaction, recorded it and then went back to sleep and then woke up in the morning. It was there in the recording. He's like, wow. Uh, But then you'll hear of other musicians being like, yeah, you get those songs that come in a couple of minutes or almost instantly. And then others that take like a long time. Can that be true for cocktails as well? Garrett, have you ever woken up in the middle of the night, specked a drink (laughs) and then fallen back to sleep? Well, the first, the first drink that, no, I mean, the first drink, uh, that you had, I was about to walk out the door and then Sinjin was like, we should talk about this drink. And then we got it in a couple, like, you know, an hour maybe. I mean, that was from a lot of previous note taking and things to, to, yeah. But I mean, in general, I think for us, it's a matter of kind of putting some ideas out there amongst the staff, sometimes amongst our regulars and, we're we're I think about just like finding all those corners down a little bit until something is ready. I mean, even we launched this menu this week and we made a couple changes already midweek to just make things like that much better. I think mm-hmm. I think that's is the edits are where like sometimes you can have the main idea in a night or like what you know in a dream or something, but it's those like small little edits that I think make something craveable and make something that you want to go back to like mm-hmm. over and over again. Um, final thing on the brain fog then, or, or kind of a segue for us here, but what came first, uh, the concept of the cocktail or the wonderful mug that we're going to be chatting about uh, in just a few seconds? Yeah, the, the drink came first. Wow. And we were going to initially put it in like a big snifter, right? We were kind of like floating with that. And then we we're like, oh, it's kind of like a similar volume to this mug that we've been designing, you know, so we kind of dressed it up and it worked out. I love it. I love, I love how everything fell into place there. Um, gents, we'll have you back out shortly for, for a Q&A, or, or you can stay here. But we're going to bring Sinjin out now, <laughs> yeah, and we're going to chat about the, uh, the brain fog mug here. Sinjin, yeah. welcome. <laughs> hello, hello. Hi. So, exciting day. Yes, very exciting. Um, Tell us, tell us about the Brain Fog Mug. Tell us about the, the, the concept, the inception, and uh, yeah, let's start there. Well, you know, the type of bar that we are, I knew that we needed a mug at some point, and, um, and I knew I wanted it to be different than uh, tiki mugs that I've seen in the past. There's a lot I like about tiki mugs, but there are, you know, there are aspects of uh, traditional uh, tiki mugs that I did not think would work in the uh, Sunken Harbor Club. Um, you know, when when we were when uh, Sunken Harbor Club was a, a pop up at Fort uh, Defiance years and years ago, you know, we went full scale 
tiki. We had the traditional tiki mugs and stuff. And then as as the as the pop-up kind of evolved, we kind of got away from that stuff and started to do something else. And for me, that was really about um, I wanted everyone to feel uh, comfortable in in that um, pop-up and the feedback I was uh, getting using some of the more offensive older mugs was that they made uh, some people feel uncomfortable. So sure. we, we, we kind of drifted away from that. And the rule of thumb I came up with was no faces. Like, no, there's no, um, there's no uh, traditional uh, tiki's in the bar. Um, the, there's no kind of representation of uh, faces of any kind. And so far that uh, rule of thumb has, has been, um, has really worked out and, mm-hmm. and also kind of helped us, you know, carve out our, own aesthetic, which is this kind of Victorian fantasy. Yeah. Um, so uh, to the mug, my uh, partners and I have a friend named Laura uh, Vogel who works at Brooklyn Clay, a uh, ceramics place in uh, Brooklyn. There's one in uh, Manhattan as well. And um, I started to talk to them to see if they could uh, create a mug for us, which I thought would be really cool to keep the production local and to, um, and to work with uh, somebody that we knew. And um, and she was a uh, game, so she was working with an artist there who uh, made some uh, drawings uh, for us, and we went through them. They were some wild ideas, but the one that really popped out was this one that was like a brain coral, and it has this kind of bulbous shape to it. Yeah. And even in like the pencil drawing of it, I just wanted to touch the texture of it. I just wanted to hold it in my hand. And I was like, that's it. So we went through several shapes. We had to work on the volume of it because at first it was way too big. Went through uh, the glazing, did a, a, a bunch of uh, different experiments with that. And what we came up with was the raised part of the brain coral is unglazed and the recessed uh, part is uh, glazed, which kind of even adds to the kind of the scrumptious little texture of the thing. <laughs> and, um, uh, and it's cool because, you know, there's a, a Sunken Harbor Club in uh, Bermuda and there's a big hunk of uh, brain coral that holds open the door to that bar. And then if you walk out the back door of a Sunken Harbor Club, you're on a limestone jetty where uh, people can uh, boat up and tie off and come into the bar, which they do. And if you look down from the uh, jetty, uh, there's uh, brain coral uh, growing all, all down in there and uh, tropical fish uh, swimming around. So mm-hmm. it's it, it really like... Um, to me, it really kind of speaks to the Bermuda Bar too. There's like a, a conversation happening mm-hmm. there. There's, you know, there, there, there's so many aspects of all of this that are just like really perfect, right? You know, we spoke about earlier uh, that the fog cutter maybe was the first, uh, you know, ceramic tiki mug out there, or, or cocktail with a dedicated mug to it. This is the first for Sunken Harbor Club. It's based on brain coral. We have the brain fog, all of which is to say, you guys are just too intelligent. Well, <laughs> yeah, I, it's, it's amazing. It's like the name makes me so happy. Thanks, Garrett. Um, yeah, I, I was uh, talking to uh, Garrett and, and I was like, well, we need a drink to put in this <laughs> mug. And he's like, well, I'm working with uh, Carlos on something. And I was like, all right, we got to name it. It's got to be something cool. And then he came back to me and said, we got the drink. <laughs> it's a riff on the fog cutter. It's called the brain fog. And I was like, thank you so much. <laughs> <laughs> Wow. Well, you know, I just want to say, you know, A, it's delicious. My first time tasting it here. I hope everyone else is enjoying it that's here Mm. with us today. Um, But also, you know, Carlos, Sinjin, Garrett back there. Thank you so much for for, for the chat today, guys. It's it's been really so much fun and a real pleasure hosting this first ever live Cocktail College with you guys. Um, Now, I think, you know, if any folks have any questions for anyone, uh, we're going to open up the floor uh, on any of the topics we've covered today or any that we might not have, but you wanted to ask um, some folks here. I have one thing. Sure. Uh, Garrett, on the topic of uh, orange juice, so I know you mentioned like doing the acidulation technique on that. Do you find any value in that? Because I've tried it at home and I find there's something just off about it. Like you just use regular orange juice and like... Are you squeezing? Are you squ- are you squeezing orange juice or are you using bottled? Uh, squeezing. I think the the way to think about it is if you're trying to minimize water content, it's your best friend. Like, um, make a painkiller. That's that's gonna. I mean, the first time Jeff Berry came into Sunken, uh, he had it on the insistent of Martin Duderoff, who we mentioned earlier, and was like, "Oh, this drink makes sense now." 
Um, so I think that's a pretty good endorsement of it. Um, but in general, it's when we want to concentrate flavors. The drink you have in front of you right now has acidified grapefruit juice in it. So if you like the drink, yeah. Thank you. One more ingredient revealed there. Yeah. <laughs> that was my goal. <laughs> but. I know you use a lot of acid adjustments to increase uh, the amount of acid in drinks. Is there any that you use to reduce? Well, we make syrups out of stuff, but there are people doing that. There's a, there's a couple influencers online that play around with science-y stuff, and I believe Kevin Coase just made a video where he turned vinegars more basic and took the acid out of them and, made it, and basically made like cordials out of vinegar. I don't know if that would necessarily be great for juices, but for vinegar it kind of makes sense because you're stripping away, like vinegar has such high acidity that you're able to sort of see what's below the surface of it. Um, for us, if we don't acidify juice, we'll turn it into a syrup because we can balance it the same way as simple syrup. Um, and that also gets around your sort of like water problem sometimes, but it's definitely worth a try. I, I know he was like adding... You should look up the video, but he was adding like baking soda to vinegar to make it more basic and then going from there. So yeah, no, there's a lot, there's a lot of avenues to explore. Do you want to be careful adding baking soda to vinegar? I believe, right? <laughs> <laughs> Does that not get yeah, quiet? I, again, <laughs> yeah, yeah, watch, yeah. watch the video. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't. Oh, no, yeah, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm not yeah. saying you're suggesting yeah, yeah. people do yeah. that. <laughs> um, we talked a little bit about salting cocktails. What's the best way of calibrating that since it's not usually as distinct as a profile? Yeah, so we use a 20% solution. So it's four, it's four parts water to one part. Yeah, 20% saline solution in drops. Um, that's sort of the most salt you can get in water before it starts to affect the dilution of the drink. Um, if you're at home, you can pinch it with your hands. The thing is just behind the bar that, you know, we want even levels across drinks. And also our hands are wet because we're constantly, you know, cleaning tins and all that kind of stuff. But... I would say if, if you want to just see the impact of it, make a martini and a daiquiri with salt and without salt and just see the difference between the two, you know. And in the martini, sometimes you already get it because you're getting the olive. But if you're a twist person, it's kind of a dramatic difference. You know, it's, I find the, um, the, the saline and salting cocktails um, kind of conversation one that's very interesting because on Cocktail College, we've definitely – in our time, interviewed some maybe more old school or seasoned bartenders who kind of look upon it skeptically, uh, I think just because it's not something they've done throughout their career. But I've also spoken to bartenders like that who've been in the business for 40, 50 years, some of them, and have changed their mind and been like, yeah, drinks are definitely improved with this. So I think it's a very interesting conversation. Um, how do you consider like the practicality how you're talking about salting and pinching and using saline solution, but when you have cocktails that have, you're building one and it has 10 ingredients, do you think about the practicality of like making that behind the bar over and over again when you're developing a new one? Do you want to talk about how we batch, Carlos? Uh, yeah, I mean, typically we blend a lot of like the shelf-stable spirits together and, uh, you know, syrups. We try to like kind of dial it down so that we could build every cocktail like under like two minutes or so yeah you know so even with like a dropper behind the bar for every cocktail really except for like some stirreds um and i guess if you're at home and that's like like if like for example if you like making zombies a lot there isn't there isn't <laughs> <laughs> there isn't anything that's going to be taken away from batching the rums together and it's possible i feel like it's it's there's some debate, but it's possible that marrying those rums together is actually going to improve the flavor over time because things are going to start to, you know, I mean, they blend spirits, right? There's blended whiskey, there's blended rum, but yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm curious, circling back to the conversation of floats, when you're developing a spec, do you consider the float as a separate flavor profile? So you have the flavor when the drink is first sipped and then once the float has been incorporated? Or that's sort of how do you play the game of with and without the float as your flavor profile? Yeah, I think it needs to taste good without it first. Um, another drink that I really like in the canon um, 
the Mai Kai had a couple of drinks that basically would be served with a side of rum, and it was sort of up to you whether you added it or not. Um, they had the uh, their version of like the special reserve daiquiri is, is probably the most famous one there, in a small sort of like wide kind of margarita coupe glass, and they give you like a side of Appleton Twelve, and it's like. You can either sip the two side by side. It's like you, you, we don't tell you how to enjoy your drink. And like I, I kind of like that model. Where And I think the same thing with the float where it's like ideally if you're a fast drinker, it's great. If you're a slow drinker, it's not. But, you know, there's not a lot of – it's, it's good. But it's like there's not a lot of drinks where that works well. So it's I reserve it for very specific things. Yeah. Well, uh, come back to that. What is your take on the Mai Tai that used the lime peel as a container for overproof rum? Oh, like lighting stuff on fire? (laughs) Carlos, do we like lighting stuff on fire? (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to say yes. (laughs) Yeah, no, I mean, fire sells drinks <laughs> and we like making money and we like people putting things on Instagram and having a good time. So yeah, yeah. No, I, pro, yeah, pro, pro fire and things. Yeah. Yeah. It's the world's first television. What's that? <laughs> fire. Also in, during last call, if y'all have been here at last call, we always have some song that relates to fire just depends on what day you're here and what mood we're in, but there's a lot of fun fire songs. Yeah? Yeah. I imagine closing the night with the prodigy. Yeah, fire starter. That sounds like a <laughs> great one to All right, we're the add, add of the, adding that one to the list. <laughs> um, any takers for one final question for us here today? Um, so how do you start playing with things like gin or even like Amari that might have 20 plus secret ingredients in addition to like a tiki cocktail that also has a lot of ingredients? It's definitely relevant to you, Carlos. <laughs> <laughs> uh, very, very delicately, you know, because it could be very like uh, potent stuff. Uh, yeah, like I feel like, yeah, just starting with like a between somewhere between like a quarter teaspoon or like a quarter ounce and then just kind of feel it out, you know, just by like constantly testing different specs yeah, te- see how it plays with the other spirits teaspooning is like a really great way to see like it's it's kind of the best eq for the mixing board is is seeing like what an extra teaspoon will do in any direction for things like say for basically all the specs you had today like a lot of the sweet and more aromatic elements have been like down to like the teaspoon um we have behind the bar we have jiggers that Dave Arnold was really nice enough to make for me um, that are three-eighths of an ounce and five-eighths of an ounce, which we use both in the Mai Tai. It's basically right under half an ounce, right under three-quarters of an ounce, but it works. And basically three-eighths is like two teaspoons and five-eighths is like is like half plus a teaspoon. So, yeah. Well, you know, Sinjin, Garrett, Carlos, thank you very much for today. Uh, and you know, if, if you know any cocktail college listeners here, if you if you for whatever reason do decide to listen all the way through to the end of the credits, you might know that what we like to say there is we like to thank the listener because without the listeners, there's no point in us making the show. So I just want to say thank you to you all here today for coming out because there wouldn't be a purpose of us sitting here, the three or four of us, if you weren't here. So thank you, everyone. Thanks for listening to the Cocktail College podcast. If you enjoy listening to the show anywhere near as much as we enjoy making it, go ahead and hit subscribe and please leave a rating or review wherever you get your podcasts, whether that's Apple, Spotify, or Stitcher. And please tell your friends. Now for the credits. Cocktail College is recorded in New York City and produced by myself and Darby Seaside, who also composed our awesome theme music. Just give that a listen. I also want to give a huge shout out to everyone on the Vine Pair team, especially co-founders Adam Teeter and Josh Mallon, editor-in-chief Joanna Sherino, and art director Daniel Greenberg, who designed our killer logo. Finally, thank you, listener, for making it this far and for giving this whole thing a purpose. Until next time. Cocktail College is brought to you by Zacapa number 23, Rum. 
Listener, I want to talk to you about aging today and specifically about Solera aging. You probably know it from the fine wines of Jerez in Spain, and you've probably noticed that it's become something of a trend these days in distilled spirits. Well, for Zacapa number 23 rum, that's always been the process, a blend of 6 to 23-year-old rums using the Solera method, but not only that. Here's what's super interesting. That aging takes place at some of the highest altitude facilities in the world. They call it the house above the clouds. And when you start to get that combination, that unique combination of Solera and altitude, what you end up with is an aged rum that is truly unique. Here's what else is unique. The patate weaving on every single bottle because they're hand-woven and... I'm a sucker for bottle design, so I wanted to point that out. But folks, that is Zacapa Rum number 23. The bottle looks great. The liquid tastes great. And it's got a really unique story you can share with friends. Head to zacaparum.com right now to learn more.